Welcome to Genuine Life Recovery with me, Jody Stevens. We're here to help you and your loved ones overcome addictions and other addiction-related mental health challenges. In this show, we dive into the physical, emotional, psychological, medical, and spiritual aspects of addiction, mental health, recovery, family dynamics, codependency, and more. Hey friends, and welcome back to Genuine Life Recovery. I'm Jody Stevens. Today we are talking to my Sacktown friends. That would be the Sacramento area. For those of you listening, you know, like in another part of the world, uh, my friends, husband and wife team advocating to bring awareness to addiction, to homelessness, and most importantly, recovery after losing their beautiful son, Josh, to complications with alcoholism. First of all, I want to thank you both for being here and sharing your story because a lot of people wouldn't because it's a hard thing to talk about and I'm going to try not to cry before before we even start. But I just want to thank you for being open about this. You almost got me crying at the <laughs> beginning, so. Well, you know what, it's okay. It's actually completely fine to cry on this show because <laughs> it's like when when we do genuine life recovery, most people, after the show's over, they're like, I feel like I was at a meeting, <laughs> right? I think you guys, I had you when I did, I was on the radio on the fish there. For a lot of you know, I did morning drive on the fish in Sacramento for many years. And I think we did an interview with you guys, didn't we? At some point for your ministry, Josh's heart. I believe we did. I know I spoke And it just dawned on me now that you're both named Dawn. So Dawn and Dawn, I I love that. Your husband and wife team, Dawn and Dawn, created Josh's heart in memory of their son, Josh. So I can't wait to hear all about it. Please share this show with anybody you know struggling with addiction and other mental health challenges. Please share it on social media. You can listen on iTunes and Spotify, Amazon, or your favorite listening app, or on my website just by clicking podcast at jodystevens.org. Dawn and Dawn, before we get rolling, what's new in Sacktown? You, I moved to Reno, so I'm over the hill now. What's going on over there? Anything exciting? It's going to get warm this weekend. Yeah. But uh, no, actually, um, to go on about next week, we are putting together our uh, blessing backpacks, uh, about 100 Ooh. of them, that uh, we will be delivering on Saturday the 18th to the homeless within within the community. Thursday uh, evening, we'll be putting them together uh, uh, with a group of volunteers. And it's my wife and I and a ton of volunteers that go out and do all this. And so you put backpacks together for the homeless and go out with the volunteers. And so what are in the backpacks? They have your typical things that a homeless person needs desperately, such as hygiene, yeah. socks. We put waters in there. We have, um, for the summer weather, we, we put sunscreen, lip balm, sunglasses. We add those to the, the basic necessities. We put gift cards in there for fast food. Oh. We have um, a pocket testimonial. We have um, Bibles. We have a, a special note card in there from that's been filled out by somebody in the community. That's wishing them, you know, well and telling them they're thought of and that they matter and they can do it. Just encouragement. We, um, this season, are adding some Narcan spray and some fentanyl strips to test 
of course, not to encourage, you know, the use of drugs, but because of the deaths that are occurring yeah. right now um, from spiked drugs with fentanyl, we were donated these to add to our backpacks this time. So we're pretty excited about that. So for those of you that uh, don't know what Narcan is, what Narcan is, is if someone ODs on uh, heroin, fentanyl, any type of an opioid, you can you, you can administer it. You probably have the nasal one. You administer it through your nose. You can literally mm-hmm. save their life. There's a, oh, I'm trying to think of her name. Um, oh my gosh. She, she was a the celebrity, literally uh, OD'd on heroin they found her they they administered narcan and it saved her life so this is something everybody should have um here in reno this is new to our backpacks yeah Yeah. that is so great everybody should have it in the test strips i mean think of this so you know here's the thing kids are taking like a pill well i i've heard of a story of they split a pill one pill had fentanyl one didn't the person that got the bad half literally OD'd. A girl here smoked marijuana laced with fentanyl. She was 16 and she died. So, you know, when we think about, you know, when you said, Don, oh, well, we don't want to encourage it and stuff. And that's so true. But at the same time, these are these, this stuff is life-saving, right? Right, right. Exactly. And that's why we're so excited. Uh, I, I would have never thought of that. And yeah. it was suggested to us, and uh, we have um, a contact here that reached out to the LGBT community, and they have a center, and they had extra that and that they hand out, and they donated some to us. So we're pretty excited to have uh, those because you know that's exactly what I said. It could save it could save a life. Yeah. And that contact was another Jody. Oh yes. It was. <laughs> I love it. The Jodies are rocking it. The Jodies and the Dons, right? (laughs) The Jodies and the Dons are rocking it. Um, So what's kind of been the, can you think of like a really powerful reaction from someone when they got their backpack? So our our biggest reaction is that no one else does this. Um, As they're going through the backpack, they're looking at it and they go, oh my gosh, socks. And it's amazing. So when our volunteers go out with us, and they see how lit up people's faces are when they open up these backpacks and are excited over a pair of socks. I remember when I was a kid and I got a pair of socks for Christmas. I'm like, really? And these guys are like yeah. overwhelmed by it. So it just it just changes your whole perspective. And one of the things that Don mentioned, the other Don, was we did a Christmas stocking event where we had people donate uh, items from a list and we put it in the stocking with a pocket testimonial, a, a Bible, and a, a Christmas card uh, filled out by someone from the community and a bunch of nice. other uh, just fun stuff. We also had a, a gift card for fast food. We went out to the community with brand new jackets that we wrapped in a, a big Christmas bag with tissue and everything. Mm. And the first person we went to, she saw us walking up and she literally started crying. Um, oh. And she wrote us a week later saying that, um, I don't know if you remember me. I was the first person. Of course, I remembered her. And uh, she said, thank you so much. Uh, kind of told me about her story. She said, uh, this was the best Christmas I've had in a long time. And she was so thankful. And we've gotten a couple others like that. You know, you start looking at the, um, start meeting the, the, our friends on the street and you realize that um, not every single one of them are out there because of a drug addiction or alcohol. I mean, some yeah. of them are just just are homeless because 
they got kicked out of their spot. And this person happened to be, they had uh, yes. a trailer they're renting. And there was a point where the COVID memorandum for uh, not evicting people expired for 24 hours and the landlord took advantage of it and kicked them out. So they ended oh. up on the streets. So yeah. we were able to just give her a blessing. That's the biggest thing. And we sat down, we prayed with her and, you know, and that's one of the things we do. We sit with them, kind of find out their story, uh, give them a chance to tell us what, what's been going on and ask them if, you know, we could pray with them. And that's, that's, like you said, it's our ministry and it's, it's totally God that has put this, uh, on our hearts to do it and made everything possible. It's not, it's not Don or me. I love that. That's so amazing. And there are so many different reasons why people end up homeless, right? You know, we have we have addiction, which can literally cause changes in our body and brain to where we can't think about anything else. We have typically the, in roots of addiction, we have trauma. We have a lot of people mm -hmm. experiencing trauma. We have mental illness. We have in therapy what we call co-occurring disorders, where there's a lot of stuff going on. And so yes. I think it's I think it's so important that people understand that this isn't like, oh, just go get a job. We've got a lot of complex emotional and psychological issues occurring with many homeless people. And those things need to be remembered, thought about and addressed, right? And with, yeah. with local governments looking at it going, well, we need to do something They're They're trying to address it, but then you have people that are afraid and I think it's more the afraid of not knowing what to expect, but they're like, I don't want that in my backyard. In Sacramento right now, they're, the uh, oh, county supervisors yeah. are voting to uh, approve a space at Florin Road and Power Inn to put 100 tiny homes there. And oh, some that. people yeah. are excited about it. And some of the yeah. neighbors are like, you know, I don't want that in our backyard. Right, um, right. That's generally but, the consensus, actually. Yeah, it, and it's difficult, you know, to deal with. You're always going to have problems with homeless. It's just the way it is. You're always going to have people that are going to game the system where, you know, you're looking at them and you're going, that's dude's like in college. You know, what they got that sign there, you know. So, <laughs> we, you know, but that's what makes it complex. We have real problems. You know, it's it's very, and I think, I think what you guys are doing is so great because the only way to deal with the problems is just to jump into it. Just to just, you know, you've got to you've got to start somewhere and look at, OK, you know, these are people that really need help. These are people that need, you know, different. I mean, because you've got so many facets of it, you know, you've got to, you know, housing. Great. Giving somebody a house is great. But what about addiction counseling? What about mental health challenges? You know, so there's just it's very complex. And I'm hoping yeah. And I don't, I'm not kind of in your, your world there with the homelessness, but I'm hoping that there's a lot of people that you're sort of involved with that understand that, you know, that, that, hey, we've got these tiny homes, but we've got an addict living in the homes and that's not going to do any good unless we get some, them some different help and resources, right? And things like that, you know? We also say that a lot, you know, we, I know Don kind of uses the word band-aid, you know, the backpacks yeah, are just exactly. kind of a band-aid. But it's not really the items that we're giving, but the love and yes. message of that you're seen and you matter. And but yes, you're right. There needs to be some kind of help that's 
that's yeah, hard yeah. because every person is individual, you know? It's, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Not everyone is an, is an addict um, of some Correct. sort. It just, it could be a, a, just because of their circumstances and, but they get lumped up like everyone else. Yeah, so you're yeah. in the, you're on the streets, you're, you're, you know, you're probably, there's probably something wrong with you. You're probably dangerous. You're, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever the stigma might be, which is sad. We know that not every homeless person is an addict or a bad person, but yeah. because there are some that are, it puts that stigma on the homeless. And so that's what we've, we're hoping by just going out and hanging out with those on the streets that it, it just brings them love and encouragement. It's like Don mentioned, this is just a band aid. We're not solving an issue. All we're doing is humanizing those that are out there on the street and giving them a voice to or or near to to listen. And also let me just say this is way more than a band-aid. Okay. And here's the reason. So many people with addictions that are homeless, they A, they have trauma, B, they have abuse, and C, they maybe have never had anyone listen or care. Right. So it's kind of like in what you guys have as a ministry, too. So it's kind of the way Jesus was out there and he said, he said, look, I'm going to feed you first. (laughs) I'm not going to shove the gospel down your throat. Let's let's feed you because you're starving. Right. And so in in recovery, there's there's people that have stages of recovery. And one of those is what they call like pre-contemplation, where they're not even thinking about recovery. And then there's where they're contemplating, where they're thinking, maybe my life could be different. Right. Maybe I have a problem. And so what you're doing is you're planting that seed where then the person literally says, wait a minute. Wow. Like somebody saw me, you know, somebody, somebody Mm. cared, like maybe, maybe I could make a change or maybe I could make a difference or maybe I could have a different life. You see what I mean? And so I feel like what you guys are doing is really planting that seed and you just maybe not always going to know where it goes. You know what I'm saying? Right. That's a, definitely exactly how I feel. And also, of course, you know, um, we care about all people, but we do have that heart for those that are addicted because of our yeah. son. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that perspective because I never really thought of it that way. I know that just giving a, them an ear and a heart to, to feel and listen, I think that was, you know, we've always kind of said, well, yeah, we're kind of a bandy because we're not really offering services, but I never really thought about the way you put it. Oh, it's huge. It's like I remember I grew up, I was dyslexic, okay? And I always thought I was stupid. And I wrote this essay when I was 17, and it was very good. And I had a teacher encourage me and say, he just wrote on a paper, she can write. And that was it. Like, that changed the trajectory of my entire future. Was one teacher who believed in something that I did. And so... You know, it's little things like that, right? Because mm-hmm. these are people that maybe never even had, they may be come through the foster system. Nobody ever gave them anything, you know? So mm-hmm. I think it's a, I think it's a huge, huge step and a huge blessing that you're bringing to these folks. Um, but I want to hear about Josh. Tell me the story of Josh. Mm-hmm. And thank you so much for sharing this 
I remember, well, you probably remember when my brother died. He died in 2015, and of course I was on the radio there, so I did talk about it to some degree. And he died, he was homeless often, and he died of alcoholism and related complications to alcoholism. So exactly the way your son passed. And so this... It's near and dear to my heart, and I understand the pain to some degree. He wasn't a son. He was a brother. Um, and so it it was so close to the time that you lost Josh. You know, it was very—I remember, Don. you know, I remember you contacting me, and, and I don't—you know, I was kind of still in a fog, as you probably yeah. were. But, um, but it was a heartbreaking— time and it's just it's just hard so i just want you to share whatever you feel comfortable sharing maybe the the before kind of how the alcoholism progressed into homelessness i can i can talk a little bit about that because when he was young you know you mentioned earlier how mental health plays such a role yes. people don't realize that and then you complicate that with the genetics of addiction um, yeah. in the family. And so there was addiction on both of our, both his mom and dad's side. So he was like hit with the double whammy in that area. He suffered. He was always a very sensitive kid and he had, he started struggling with a little bit of like, um, learning disability and they wanted me to have him tested at that point. So we found out early on that he was, you know, they diagnosed him as, you know, they went back and forth with ADD or, you know, depression, but the depression comes out in anger, not all, all of a sudden, not always tears. Mm-hmm. And so he was always very sensitive. He always um, struggled with low self, low self-esteem and um, needed to fit in. And I think his drinking started when he, you know, when you're a teenager in school and you yeah. guys, everyone goes out and drinks and to go yeah. to parties. And he noticed that that made him feel like he was more funny and he could, be different for girls, you know, those kind of things. And I think not knowing, you know, you never know which one in the family is going to end up with the addiction. And so, right. Yeah. And so for my family, it was both, but it's, 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 that was exactly my story. The dyslexia, I'm stupid. I started drinking at 14 and that was it. I had arrived. Mm-hmm. I was funny. I was everything. And yeah. it was on, it, and then you had the genetics of the disease on both sides, environmental, like it's all there and it all, and the, and, and the low self-esteem that was rampant in the family. So I just want to yeah. say, I, I, I feel you because it starts that way. And all these things work together to create this kind of perfect storm um, right. you know, so I just want to throw that yeah. in, but anyway, continue. Thank you. That's exactly what, it, exactly what it was. Of course he started getting into some trouble and, but I would say his drinking began around, I don't know, maybe 15, 16, but then it just got, you know, kind of worse and worse. It ended up taking him out on the street issues with division in the family because yeah. of the things he was doing. He ended up like, I would say the first round of homelessness, he was about 25. So yeah, he went on a journey. I went along with him. I was always there wherever he yeah. was. We yeah. couldn't let him live here because of his, you know, the the other siblings and the fear and the anxiety of the things that they had seen when he was drinking. So yeah, and then he became homeless and that was a whole new journey. And we walked through so much of that together, find, trying to find him. We found so many different places of recovery that we got him into and um, he went through times of sobriety and then he yep. would, you know, that wouldn't last. And then um, he got into an apartment 
that wasn't it. That wasn't the fix. Like you said earlier, you know, you can't just get yeah. a home for some of the people who suffer with mental health and addiction. And um, he would still go out and find people that were homeless and bring them back to his house and, you know, help them let some of them stay sometimes and all of the self-esteem included in that. So he just felt very trapped. He would tell me he felt like a hamster on a wheel that couldn't get out. Mm. It was devastating. It broke up our family. It caused so much, so much pain and it broke my heart. I, I just had such a problem um, dealing with my own life, knowing that he wasn't okay. So it, there was so much involved in this, in this whole thing. And he was just suffering. He had had a seizure, his first and only seizure the year before he passed away. He had it when he was in a detox facility out here in Sacramento. They have a county run detox, but they don't medicate for um, withdrawals. They just, oh, Lord. Lord yeah. And so he had, he had a seizure during his dinner time. Yeah. And so he was in there almost three weeks. They, they had him in ICU about two weeks. Mm -hmm. He got pneumonia from the in, inhaling food. The doctor at that time was really good and told me, you know, if he, this is a disease like anything else, like diabetes and everything, yep. you know, he said, people don't understand that alcohol is the only drug that you cannot go off, that you can't cut cold turkey. No, it'll if kill you. So, so alcohol and benzos will kill you. And my brother had grand malls all the time, seizures, you know, when he, when yeah. he was, you know, and people don't get it. He had, he had a seizure on my floor and I called the paramedics and they were like mad at me because, you know, the stigma back then, this was in the, you know, early 2000s. So I, I get you, people don't understand detox at all and at the time I didn't either and you guys probably didn't either you're like because they don't teach anything and you're like what's going on why is this person seizuring on my floor they have no idea and it's just I is that's why we we need to educate people about what is happening yeah. yeah and we learned a lot during that time that's for sure you know you can't just cut them off like that and no. so he then next year it's interesting you say that because the next year he was struggling again. He had fallen. He had broken his arm, needed surgery. All these things happened. And, but be, right before we found that out, I was taking him into health to this health care that, you know, would see people that would see people without insurance. And they, uh, I said, you, we need to find him a place to get medical detox. I can't find any place. The places that we were finding were not, it was like one place and they want you to be, you know, get into their program. And then, and then, the yeah. next day they'll take you. And it's like, you can't wait that long when you need yeah. to have detox. So the, the programs were just nil. And, and I don't know if they still are, but that's something where my heart is. I want to, I would love to support ways to even fund programs to pay for some, you know, medical detox for, for people that do not have insurance, because that is a huge problem. At least it yeah. was in 2006. 16, 15. Oh so. my gosh. And I'm telling you, Dawn, it was with my brother. It was, you know, he was in, he, you know, he did geographic, as they call in recovery, geographicals, where you move here and there, hoping that wherever you go, you won't follow, you know, and, and, and it didn't matter yeah. where he was, you know, they're the same problems, but, but it was the same thing. It was like, you know, they have, they have, you know, naloxone and, you know, things like that where they give you shots, but then it's, it's a ton of money to get the shots for the medication. And then, and, you know, he would get on like the Oregon health plan, but then, you know, that didn't cover things. And, and you know, they're trying to, to do what's called multidisciplinary, where we start 
we start integrating everything under one roof where there's detox, there's a therapist, there's a mental health, there's a psychiatrist, and then there's an addiction counselor. But you can't expect a homeless person to put all those things together. And so it's so very hard to get care. And the same thing with the detox that you know, it was the same thing. It's like you got to get there at seven in the morning. Like even the opioid clinic where I work at with methadone, everybody has to get there at like freaking 3 a.m. and they take one person mm-hmm. because they don't they don't have the resources and they don't have the room for more. And it's just getting worse because people are coming out had, of school. And that's if you had somebody to even help get you there. So he had me right. to help get him all the places, but he yes. still couldn't. And if so, if he didn't have insurance, there was no immediate help. The stigmatism you spoke about, he, uh, the last day I talked to him, he had, he hadn't been feeling great. And he told me he wasn't feeling great. And he was embarrassed. He couldn't even walk across the apartment complex or something. And I, and I was trying to say, go to the hospital. And he said, mom, I am not going. They treat you like crap. If you're an alcoholic, I'm not going. And I said, well, maybe they'll find something and keep you. He's all, no. I'm not going. And that's the night we got the call that he went by ambulance because he threw up blood, which he had never done before. Yeah. And, um, and it just went from there. He, he was talking to them when he got there and then all of a sudden all his vitals, his oxygen levels just started dropping and they had to uh, intubate him. And that's what happened His he was having organ failure already at 32. Was that when he passed at 32 or did he progress for a few more years? Oh, no, that was it. Um, He went in on Mm. a Monday and he told me on that Friday that there was nothing more that they could do. So, Jody, one of the things that was interesting about the reason why Josh's heart came about was um, while Josh was on the streets, um, he took care of people. Like if we brought him, Don would bring him uh, food or items or whatever. And um, so he always shared it with everyone on the streets. If he got food or money from anyone, he would do the same. Anyone that was there that needed protection of any sort, Josh took care of them. So Josh had a huge heart all the way since he was a little kid. He had a huge heart for the homeless. One of the things Don was uh, forgot to mention was when he was uh, really young, we would drive by a homeless person and he would just have a tantrum, just start crying and saying, I wish I could take their place. That to me was the most ironic thing was that, you know, here this little boy was you know, upset with seeing a homeless person wanted to take their place and he became that person. Just it's the coincidence part of it. But going back to um, Josh being in the hospital, that Thursday before he passed, he actually had people staying in his apartment and sadly I had to, um, I had to ask them to leave. But you could tell Josh's heart was all, all, all the way up to the, almost the day he passed away. Yeah. But, um, yeah. He just, he had an incredible heart, but you know, he could also be a jerk too. You know, alcohol does what it does. Right. That was also depression and behavior, you know, combination yeah. of his, you know, his own behavior and um, yeah, his depression. And as he got older, he got more anxiety. Yeah. It was a tornado effect. Mm -hmm. Well, and there's so many, like we talked about the co-occurring disorders, you know, go along with addiction. And then, you know, we throw in the genetics, we throw in sort of, you know, the mental health problems, which typically, you know, go down the family line. And so what you have Mm -hmm. is just a, a situation that's, that's very, very complex. I also feel like most addicts are such 
beautiful people. They're so, oh, I'm going to cry now. But like they're so complex and there's so much to offer. You know, like I'm super complex. Like I'm just that way. And I love complex people. And after my Mm -hmm. brother died, somebody reached out and they said, he was just so you know, beautiful and complicated. And, and, and he was like Robin Williams, you know, like so funny and so interesting. Uh, And that's just how they are. And so it's so amazing when we can get addicts, you know, back on their feet and sober because they're really beautiful, complex people that Mm -hmm. struggle with they struggle with their own complexities. I mean, I'm like, <laughs> I can't yeah. even handle myself from day to day. It's like, somebody help me, you know? And, <laughs> and I just think that's, and then you have the disease portion that a lot of people don't want to believe that it's a disease because especially, you know, here we're Christians. So people can't seem to reconcile the two and it drives me nuts because it's just like with diabetes, like I have to, I'm on a diet now. I have to lose weight because if I don't, I'm going to be diabetic. So there's a point where you're pre-diabetic and then there's a point where the blood sugar hits and now you're diabetic. There's no turning back without help. And so the same thing is with, um, addiction, particularly drugs, because the science of it is that it hijacks what's called the reward system in your brain. So it's flooding your system with dopamine or GABA, and it's not, it's called reuptake. It's not reuptaking to where, like when you have food or you have sex, those are things God created so that we would survive. When that system gets hijacked, we start to think, if I don't get this substance, I'm going to die. I must have it or I'm going to die. And there's a point of no return. There's like a point where like they talk about the pickle can't become a cucumber or vice versa, right? You guys know what I mean. And so there's a, there's a switch that flips and they knew that when they created AA and all that stuff, they didn't say it scientifically the way we do now, but they knew that they knew it was a disease, but they also knew it was a spiritual melodity you know, that only God could save them from. Because addiction, sure, it's still a disease, but it's still a sin. It's both, right? I can I can um, overeat and get diabetes and still have a disease and still be in sin because I can't stop eating. Do you see what I'm saying? So I feel, I feel like if yeah. more people understood that, but they, they don't, they see it as a moral failing. And it's not yeah. a moral failing. It's a disease with a lot of components, which makes it complex. Unfortunately, a lot of people are confused. Mm-hmm. A lot of people do believe it's not an addiction. It's they can choose a different way. Mm-hmm. And that just frustrates me. It, it It's true because alcohol and yeah. believe it or not, tobacco kill more people than the opioid epidemic killed 100,000 during covid so you kind of look at that and you think, right, if this was a moral issue, would a million people die? Would a million sure. people watch their quality of life, just like Josh, go from one way to literally homelessness? Would they just do that if it was just a moral failing? Somebody told me once, well, addiction isn't spoken about in the Bible. I don't know that it needs to be said addiction. I believe it is a genetic thing. 
You know it is, and we see it from generation to generation as it rocks through families. Well, thank you guys so much for being here for part one, and thank you so much for sharing that emotional and tragic story of your son, Josh, but also the hope of God and all the wonderful things that you are doing to bring hope and love and compassion to those homeless and those struggling with addiction. When we come back for part two, we are going to continue to talk to Don and Don. We're going to talk about the importance of knowing the family dynamics of the genetics and whether or not a person has an addictive brain and also how you can know or tell. We'll talk about ways you can help the homeless and those struggling with addiction. We'll talk about how to keep a marriage and faith together through the loss of a child from addiction. We'll talk about boundaries and the guilt that comes from feeling like, did I do enough? I did I did too much. And how do we deal with the you know advice that everybody has about boundaries and all those sorts of things? We'll talk about, can you heal after losing a child? That and so much more coming up with Dawn and Dawn. The married couple bringing awareness to addiction and recovery and homelessness. And they, of course, founded Josh's Heart in loving memory of their son, Josh Moore. And you can find out more at joshesheart.org, J-O-S-H-H-E-A-R-T.org. And when you're there, you can connect with them, contact them, find out more about the ministry and also donate and help donate items too for their ongoing blessing backpack drive for the homeless thanks so much for being here friends please share this show with anybody you know who's struggling with addiction maybe it's you maybe a family member also codependency and other mental health challenges related to addiction and recovery you can listen to this show on itunes and spotify then also just by clicking podcast at jodystevens.org j-o-d-i-e-s-t-e-v-e-n-s jodystevens.org. So thanks so much for listening, friends, and we will talk to you next time.